I'm Bill Phelps, Phelps LLC Ranch in Bernie County, Texas, and you're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We've got another week rolling, and I've got another episode rolling for you of Texas Ag Today. So jump on in with me. Buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, we're preparing for a new farm bill. Another farm bill field hearing is coming up here in just a few days over in Arkansas. We'll check in with West Texas farmer Cody Carson. He's the chairman of National Sorghum Producers to get his take on what he'd like to see in the upcoming farm bill. We'll have that story coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Recent rains in the Texas High Plains did give us a break from our ongoing drought. But those showers also put pressure on farmers trying to meet their crop insurance planting deadlines. I'm James Hunt and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Texas Hill Country peaches this summer will be smaller in size, but sweeter than normal. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have more from the Hill Country on Texas Ag Today. Recent rains in the coastal bend have greened up pastures and aided struggling crops. This is Harvey Buring reporting from the Corpus Christi area. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Farm Bill field hearings have begun with the first one held last month in Minnesota and one coming up in a couple of weeks in Arkansas. West Texas farmer Cody Carson is chairman of National Sorghum Producers and he was in Washington, D.C. recently lobbying Congress on several issues, including the 2023 Farm Bill. Carson says farmers are operating in an environment of escalating input costs and it would be nice if the Farm Bill could address that but it will cost money to make that happen. I know our baseline is really tight on, on expenditures, so I don't know how much traction we'll have on moving marketing loan or reference prices um, because a small move is huge dollars there, and those prices are so far out. Uh, it'd be great to tie them to a uh, fuel price or fertilizer index, but I don't know uh, in this time of, of inflation and uh, increased interest rates, you know, where we're, we, we've got to be prudent with our spending. Carson says one big priority is to protect the crop insurance program and possibly get a permanent disaster program. Texas cities are growing, and when they grow, they encroach on Texas farms and ranches. It's a clash that causes a lot of conflict between farmers and ranchers who have been on their land for generations and new homeowners who have no knowledge of production agriculture. 
John Paul Deneen farms just south of Dallas, and he told the Texas House Committee on Agriculture and Livestock last week that it's time to strengthen the Texas right to farm law to deal with the problem. Deneen says he lost an entire field of Sudan because neighboring homeowners complained about the tall grass. Adjacent homeowners complained so much to the city and the city employees, they sent the employees to destroy the whole crop by mowing it. When I complained to the city manager and asked for restitution, I was denied because our agreement had only been verbal. And another problem came up when he was preparing to plant the field in corn. As I was preparing to plant corn, an adjacent new homeowner stopped and inquired what I was up to. I informed him that I was planting corn for harvest. He quickly let me know that he treasured his green space view from his home and he would not appreciate corn growth, which would eventually be a seven-foot-high cornfield at maturity. He felt entitled to his view and informed me that he would be broadcasting wildfire seeds onto this property that I farm, property that he had no service rights to. Deneen asked the committee to consider some common-sense changes to the state's agriculture code to preserve the Texas right to farm protections. Recent rains in the Texas High Plains were a nice break from the ongoing drought. But James Hunt says those rains put some pressure on farmers trying to make crop insurance deadlines. With the long drought we've suffered in the Texas High Plains, recent rains were certainly nice to have. But for some area farmers, these storms disrupted planting. Crop insurance agent Rachel Myers believes some producers will wind up missing their insurance planting deadlines, but... All of our crops do have a late plant period. What that means is if you were not able to get that crop in by the final plant date, you do have additional days to plant that crop. You just start taking a reduction in your insurance coverage for every day that you plant into that late plant period. And those periods vary by crop as well. Um, Cotton is a seven-day late plant period. Corn has a 15-day late plant. One of the big changes that we saw last year was on grain sorghum. It traditionally has had a 25-day late plant period, and that was shortened to 10 days. So some things to keep in mind for farmers still trying to get their crops started. Of course, our weather has been so frustrating in recent months, there was some talk going on that maybe more than a few area farmers might decide to not plant at all. But Myers does not see that occurring. You know, I've answered a lot of questions about prevent plant. I can put it that way. I don't know that that really translates to interest. Preventive plant is not something that is, I would say, customary in the Texas Panhandle. By any means, there are other regions of the state that probably have experienced more prevented plant throughout the years than we have. And so I think we get to this point every year where we've got some areas getting too much rain, other areas getting not enough rain, and people start asking those questions. But I truly believe when we get to acreage reporting, we're going to see that most producers were able to get that crop in the ground. Once again, that was Rachel Myers with Myers Crop Insurance in Claude. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Hill Country peaches are ready for summertime celebrations here in Texas. Tom Nicoletti checks in with a Hill Country peach grower for an update on the crop. My guest from Stonewall in the Hill Country is Kristen Brastani. She is with Dicker Orchard and Berg's Corner. And Kristen, 
about uh, 85% of your crop there uh, is crop of peaches as it is uh, year to year. What do the peaches look like this year, quantity and quality wise, as the summer approaches? So this year, uh, we're really excited about our peach crop. We expect to have a good crop. We're saying close to about an 80-85% crop as far as set throughout all of our different varieties. We're harvesting about two dozen different varieties. That's what's allowing us to start picking here soon and continue in all the way through Labor Day. What you're going to find, the peaches, although it's a really great crop in volume size, the size of the peaches are going to be a little bit smaller than normal, and that's because of the drought conditions we're in right now. What I'm telling people is there's pros and cons. The pro, though, is that they're going to be extra sweet, so you tend to get smaller peaches on your drought year, but they tend to be sweeter than normal. Now you have visitors throughout the summer from uh, across Texas, but also I'm sure you have a number of people coming in from out of state and everywhere to uh, purchase your peaches. Yeah, you know, um, this is a family business. And about 15 years ago, it was primarily just Texas residents coming to get peaches. And now what you're finding is people are coming from all over. People from the West Coast in California, all the way over to the East Coast in Georgia and the Carolinas. So it's pretty cool to see that, gaining a little more notoriety just on our peaches because we're pretty fond of them. We think they taste pretty good. (laughs) That is Kristen Rastani. She is with Dicker Orchard and Berg's Corner in the Texas Hill Country. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Recent rains in the coastal bend have greened up pastures and helped crop development there. Harvey Buring reports from the Corpus Christi area. Three days of rainfall events from May 23rd through the 25th did produce some very significant rains across much of the coastal bend. That was the heaviest rainfall amounts that many producers had received in more than six months. And that reported their rainfall amounts during that three-day period for many uh, produced as much as two to three and a quarter inches. Of course, some folks were only able to get around three quarter of an inch, but nevertheless, it did a whole lot to improve pastures and perk up those struggling droughty crops. In uh, many of the areas, of course, uh, first time that warm season pasture grasses that had a chance to rejuvenate themselves and produce some green leafy grass growth uh, suitable for grazing. And for cattle producers, that certainly has renewed their optimism. And uh, also it slowed down those shipments of lightweight calves and older breeding cattle to our area livestock markets located in Alice, Beeville and Three Rivers, Texas. Now row crops uh, also showed a response as mentioned earlier, but crop consultants are concerned that Uh, Some of this earlier planted cotton crop uh, that is now blooming on these short-statured plants could soon reach uh, their maximum bloom-holding capacity unless there's some heavy rains that show up in the very near future. Once those cotton plants bloom up near the top, it terminates the growth and will only develop those bowls that it's holding and not put on additional bowls to enhance yield. And certainly that is a major concern, not only to farmers, but also our area genners. A number of genners that I've visited with 
say they'll be lucky to process 40 to 50 percent of the previous two years crops. And that is a certainly a worrisome problem for the infrastructure here in the coastal bend for our cotton industry. Reporting for Texas Ag Today from the Coastal Bend area, this has been Harvey Buring. The Texas Animal Health Commission will soon begin accepting comments on changes to its herd certification program for deer breeders. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And more wild horses are dying from equine influenza. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an insurance agent who's a true neighbor. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. More wild horses are dying from equine influenza. Dr. Bob Judd says it's happening at a wild horse facility in Colorado. As of May the 9th of this year, 142 horses have died from equine influenza, and the horses were housed in a Bureau of Land Management facility near Carson City, Colorado. There are 2,500 horses at the facility on 50 acres within a 120-acre facility. It is reported that the sickness has primarily affected the unvaccinated horses, and all horses that have died were unvaccinated. Influenza is a respiratory infection characterized by moderate fever, coughing, nasal discharge, depression, and labored breathing. On April 23rd of this year, nine horses were found dead in four pens containing horses from the West Douglas herd area that were gathered in the summer of 2021 and shipped to the facility in Carson City. Recently, several horses became very sick with pneumonia. Over the next three days, the deaths continued and many horses were euthanized due to severe pneumonia. The disease is very contagious as up to 60% of the horses were affected and PCR testing revealed influenza as the cause of the disease. In most cases in domesticated horses, influenza is not deadly as most horses are otherwise healthy. However, these horses were initially gathered after a severe wildfire in the area with severe winds and dust storms, which certainly had an effect on their immunity and ability to fight off infection. The horses had been at the Carson City facility for about nine months when the deaths began. Realize these horses are not domesticated, so handling them for vaccination and treatment is also a stress. Some of the horses in this group had received one vaccination and others were not vaccinated at all. Handling of these wild horses is a very political issue, and the Bureau of Land Management is in charge of these horses. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Animal Health Commission will soon begin accepting comments on changes to its herd certification program for deer breeders. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. To be in compliance with federal standards, the Texas Animal Health Commission will soon propose several changes to the chronic wasting disease herd certification program for deer breeders. 
There are currently 279 deer herds in Texas enrolled in the voluntary program, which is administered by the Animal Health Commission. A certified status through the program is required for deer breeders to ship deer and other cervids across state lines or into Mexico. Dr. Andy Schwartz, state veterinarian and TAHC executive director, says the proposed rule changes are needed to be in compliance with the U.S. Department of Agriculture's federal herd certification program. Rules that are being proposed now that we're out for review will require that missing deer or deer that enter a facility will need to be reported immediately rather than 72 hours later. The rules change would remove an exception that we had allowed where if a deer breeder added a deer of lower status and then later discovered that deer was lower status and a postmortem tested it negative, we would allow that herd to stay at the level that it was before. USDA said that was not allowed. So if a deer of lower status was added, even if that deer was postmortem tested later, the herd has to drop down to the level of that status. And a third major point had to do with the finding they had, and that was on the physical inventory. So this rule change would require that both forms of required ID be verified on a physical inventory and that that physical inventory of that herd be done every three years. The proposed rules will be published in an upcoming edition of the Texas Register and at that point a public comment period will begin. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. It's time to check the markets. So how did things kick off the trading week on Monday? Jessica will be back with all of Monday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Trains are everywhere. You should always expect one, even on private property. Only cross tracks at designated crossings that fit your equipment. If you don't fit, don't commit. Whenever you're operating, secure your load, raise your equipment, and avoid getting stuck or causing damage. Minimize distractions. Remember, noisy equipment drowns out the sound of a train. Unless you're crossing, always keep a safe distance from train tracks. Look. Listen. Live. For more info, go to OLI.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The live cattle markets started out this week on Monday lower due to a lack of technical support. June live cattle down 77 cents to 132.82. August live cattle down 95 cents to 132.90. Corn moved higher on Monday and that did impact the feeder cattle markets. August feeder cattle down $1.90 to 171.97. September feeder cattle down $1.75 to 174.55. Box beef was higher Monday. Choice up $2.11 to $2.69.37. Select up $2.90 to $252.92. Now let's take a look at those livestock auctions. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. It's time to go to Angelo, that's San Angelo, and talk to Jody Fry. They sell them there every Thursday. Jody, how'd the cattle sale go? 
we ended up with 1440 so still good numbers those better quality kids and yearlings calling those steady to three dollars higher heavyweight and high yield and slaughter cows so fully two to four dollars higher very good demand on those average to, uh, yielding and low yield and slaughter cows sold about steady cow calf pairs steady to slightly higher on those baby tooth and good solid mouth cow calf pairs steers four to six hundred pound better quality steers 145 all the way up to a high of near two dollars mostly 155 to 180 six to eight hundred pound steers 130 to a high of 165 mostly 140 to 155 better quality heifer calves four to six hundred pounds 125 up to a high of near 165 mostly 135 to 150 slaughter cows average to high yielding from 58 to 74 did have several drafts of those highest yielding slaughter cows from 75 to 85 thinner or lower yielding type cows from 36 to 56 slaughter bulls average to high yielding from 73 to 95 didn't have uh, that many of the highest yielding slaughter bulls the one we had uh, those we had traded from 97 to a high of 101 bred cows and two-year-olds a few young medium to heavy bred cows from 775 to 1025 cow calf pairs baby tooth and solid mouth good solid mouth pairs anywhere from 825 to a high of 1325 Tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Jody Fry. You bet. Call us there at the office at 325-653-3371. My mobile phone would be 234-7895. I'm Larry Marble. Good day. June lean hogs down 97 cents to 109.22. July lean hogs down $1.77 to 108.97. June class 3 milk up 15 cents to 24.48 a hundred weight. July class 3 milk up 28 cents to 24.88 a hundred weight. Cotton traded mixed Monday as West Texas Intermediate crude hit a three-month record. July cotton down 44 points to 137.74. October cotton up 126 points to 127.92. December cotton up 190 points to 119.80. July corn up 15 and a half to 7.42 and a half. September corn up 13 to 7.14 and a quarter. December corn up 12 and a half to 7.02 and a half. July hard red wheat up 49 to 11.70 even. September hard red wheat up 48 and a half to 11.76 and three quarters. July natural gas up 82 cents Monday to 9.34. August natural gas up 82 cents to 9.33. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil saw some choppy trade on Monday, and according to Reuters, it hit the highest we've seen since early March at $120.99 a barrel. It did not stay at that price, though. It did fall before the close. July crude oil down 63 cents to 118.24. August crude oil down 43 cents to 115.80. Now let's check our financial markets. The Dow up four points to 32,904. The S&P 500 up 13 points to 4,121. The Nasdaq up 33 points to 12,046. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Be sure to tune in to our next episode for the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Jessica Domble. We hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website, at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.